Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, October 16th, we are studying Proverbs chapter 29, verses 1 through 27. The Proverbs copied by Hezekiah's men conclude, as God's word yet again shines his light upon the way of wisdom and righteousness so that his people would walk in it. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Ryan Tinetti. Pastor Tinetti serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Michigan. Pastor Tinetti, welcome back to Sharp Iron. That's great to be back, Tim. Thanks. As we get started this morning, just give us some background on the book of Proverbs, this particular section in the book of Proverbs, wisdom literature as a whole, King Solomon, the primary author and <laughs> compiler. What do we need to know about this book, this section going into our text today? Sure. Well, maybe just a, a few brief words on the book of Proverbs already. We're this far in, so your listeners uh, have probably heard a lot of this before, but it bears repeating. Um, the book of Proverbs, as you suggest, is part of the wisdom literature and uh, written primarily by Solomon, the king of Israel, the son of David. And um, this particular section is uh, attributed to him as well. There are parts in the book of Proverbs um, there that have other authors, but this part, as you said just a moment ago, chapters 25 through 29 were collected by, we're told, the men of Hezekiah, some of King Hezekiah's scribes a couple hundred years later. And so um, evidently there was still, um, so to speak, some deleted scenes from, Pro- from Solomon's Proverbs that people were like, hey, we've still got some good stuff. We've got to get this back out there. Um, and so they did. And uh, this section is part of that. And again, with the book of Proverbs, the overriding theme going back to chapter one is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that's repeated several times throughout the book. Uh, it shows up in the Psalms as well. It's very much the, um, the, um, the caption, if you will, for the whole wisdom literature, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If we are to understand our world aright, if we're to be able to interpret it through the right lens, then we're to do so through uh, the fear of the Lord, which again is uh, a manner of speaking, especially in the Old Testament, to talk about faith. What does it mean to have faith? Um, it's to fear the Lord and to uh, honor Him above all things, to fear, love, and trust in Him above all else, as we say with the first commandment. And so um, as God's people, we look out at the world and we see it through the lens of faith, through the lens of this fear of the Lord, and uh, that's where true knowledge and wisdom comes from. Um, and then when we get into the, the book of Proverbs, it sometimes can be a little bit of a stumbling block for Christians because it's a lot of what we would just call law, you know, God's word of uh, this is how we live as his people, as uh, hum- human people, human creatures. Um, but I think it's important for us to recognize that much of the book of Proverbs is what we would call the first use of the law. And just a quick, you know, kind of overview again of the the uses of the law. We generally describe three uses of the law. The first use of the law, we call it like the curb. This is um, just the, the use of the law that applies to all human beings. And it's this is just going with the grain of the universe. This is just how things work. Sometimes we might call it natural law. 
second use of the law is what we're most familiar with as Lutherans. It's how the law convicts us, can, um, kills us, shows us our sin, leads us back to Christ. And then the third use of the law is as Christians, as those who are reborn and renewed in the Spirit, then the law guides us in the way of righteousness. But much of the book of Proverbs is simply that first use of the law. It's sort of um, saying, hey, look, this is how life works best, and if you go in this way, things are going to go better for you, generally speaking. And that generally speaking is important, because these are not ironclad rules, that if you do this thing, then you will always see this result. But it's more a kind of um, general observation about the way that life works in this world that God has made. And so that's sort of a, a broad overview of the book of Proverbs. Um, one other thing that I think is helpful, Pastor Apple, as we look at the book of Proverbs, and one way I've thought about it, especially in our contemporary culture, where um, there's so much a focus on sound bites, right, and getting zingers off, um, <laughs> whether it be in you know, Twitter culture or, or, frankly, with respect to our, our present circumstances on the radio, not KFU, of course, but other radio stations. <laughs> Um, where it can be focused just on getting those little sound bites. But you might think of Proverbs as being kind of sanctified sound bites, where it's, it's a, uh, a lot of biblical wisdom, God's truth, packed into a small amount of words, a few amount of words. So long before Twitter was limiting people to 280 characters, you had the book of Proverbs, uh, where many of the Proverbs fit into that and uh, with room to spare. And so that's one way that I've thought about um, these Proverbs and how they can be helpful in our contemporary age. Agreed. And I like that sanctified sound bites. The thing about the sanctified sound bites that you have in the book of Proverbs that I've discovered in going through this series is that to use them well is a bit opposite the way that our culture would use a soundbite. Generally, we hear a soundbite. It's a zinger for 15 minutes of fame, even less now, I suppose. Sure. And then right. the, then it's gone. Whereas these yeah. sanctified soundbites in the book of Proverbs invite further reflection. And, and I've discovered yeah. talking with other guests, and I'm sure we'll discover it again today, that we really could spend an entire episode on just one proverb as you ponder it and look at all the connections elsewhere in Scripture. Yes, yep, that's right. And um, the book of Proverbs and each individual proverb invites us to imagine ourselves standing at a crossroads and to look into multiple directions. So first, it invites us to look backwards. We want to look backwards and kind of have this sort of uh, taste and see side to it, sort of um, say, yeah, does this not fit with your own experience and your own observations about the way that the world works? So first, we look backwards. But then we also look backwards to Christ, and we want to interpret this ultimately through that lens of faith and through through the lens of our Lord Jesus, and to see how he is the one righteous one, how he is our, our royal king, our um, just ruler. And so we um, see it through a, a Christological frame as well. And then and only then are we able to look forward as well and to the future, say, okay, now then how does this apply in, in my life? What does that look like? And if we just pull it out and think that it's going to have an easy-peasy application without that deeper reflection, um, then, as it says uh, elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, will be as useless as a, uh, a lame man's limp legs. Mm -hmm. So we need uh, Proverbs to have wisdom um, for their application, for their use. Mm -hmm. Now, in this section, particularly these Proverbs copied by Hezekiah's men, we've seen throughout some of that randomness that occurs elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, but a bit more focus at times. 
particularly in matters dealing with the king, which makes sense. Yeah. Maybe that's one of the reasons why you've got Hezekiah's men copying these things is to deal right. with wisdom for kings. Now, right. in a country in which we have a president and we live in a, we're officially a constitutional republic, I suppose, not a democracy, but we don't have a king. I'm not a king. You're not a king. Well, how do we take Proverbs like those that deal with the kings? How do we understand them as Christians today? Yeah, that's a really important question, because on the face of it, you're like, well, how could this possibly be relevant? We're getting into guidance for kings. Like you say, not only am I not in a a monarchy, but I myself am not a king. But um, in point of fact, by faith and by virtue of your baptism, you are. You are part of the royal priesthood. And for us to read uh, the book of Proverbs spiritually as people of faith, as those who are baptized, is to recognize that now we are uh, kings and queens. We are sons and daughters of the king. We are his royal subjects, so that uh, to, to read this and to apply this as the priesthood of the baptized is to recognize that it does have relevance to us, seen through that lens of our identity as those who have been um, coronated in our baptism and given this uh, new identity as the royal sons and daughters of King Jesus. So uh, it doesn't have that, again, doesn't have that kind of immediate application, certainly like it did for King Hezekiah, but um, as we we interpret this and receive it through the filter of King Jesus, then we're able to see, oh yeah, I'm a member of the royal priesthood. This speaks to uh, my life in the world as well. Let's take a look then at Proverbs 29. We'll read about the first 15 verses here on this side of the program. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. When the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the rich But when the wicked rule, the people groan. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. By justice, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor, A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs and there is no quiet. Bloodthirsty men hate one who is blameless and seek the life of the upright. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. If a king faithfully judges the poor, his throne will be established forever. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We'll pause there. That's Proverbs 29, verses 1 through 15. So let's just start with the first verse of the section, Pastor Tanetti. Verse 1, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And we've we've heard Solomon in this book deal with the matters of correction or reproof before. And once again, he's speaking of it as a good thing. What is Solomon saying here about being reproof? And the here, I suppose, it's the danger of rejecting it. Yes, 
Yeah, no, that's true, and we're going to see it in the latter half of the chapter as well, the importance of correction, of discipline as a recurring theme um, throughout the book of Proverbs, and um, even just in these first 15 verses, we have a nice bracketing, both with verse 1, he is who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing, and then in verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. There's consequences for a lack of reproof, and like you say, there's salutary benefits of receiving reproof. It's kind of like we say in a, a contemporary expression, we say, you just got to take your medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that it might not taste so good going down, but in fact, it, uh, it, it brings good things for you. And the one who's often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Um, what this proverb is expressing is, hey, look, if you continue to push back, what you're doing is you're making yourself more and more stiff and uh, in, unable in order to receive that correction that you need until finally you get to that place where you're not able to bend at all, but you're just going to break. And uh, to use a a slightly different metaphor, um, the scriptures talk about how hearts can become coarse over time, that um, if we we continue to harden our heart, as you see, for example, with Pharaoh, uh, famously in in the book of Exodus, then it's like it um, just gets worse and worse, stronger and stronger, until finally it gets to a point where you're not able to receive any kind of correction or any kind of reproof. Whereas for us, especially as people of faith, we recognize that, oh, wait, no, there is a a positive place for reproof. We need to hear it. We need to receive it because we recognize we're sinful people. And for us not to um, accept that is fundamentally betraying our our dual nature as sinners and saints. And it brings to mind uh, the the words from Psalm 141, where it says, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. It's a very counterintuitive approach to that kind of rebuke or reproof. Normally we'd say, I don't want that. I'm going to resist that. But the scriptures recognize, no, wait a second, this has a positive aspect to it because it leads us back to repentance and to uh, a right relationship with the Lord. And so um, that is in the background, I think, over and over again, when Solomon brings up that positive aspect of correction and reproof. There have to be these almost like little wounds for there to be a bigger healing, it seems. The, right. the idea of yeah. of discipline is painful, and, and the scriptures do acknowledge that. I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 12, I think, where, where the yeah. writer acknowledges that there is that pain and discipline, but when a father does it to his son here in an earthly sense, it has a purpose, and even more so when our heavenly father does it to us as his children, in, in that sense of drawing us back to repentance, as you were saying, and if we reject that, well, again, the image there of, of something that just refuses to bend with these forces that are coming against it, it will eventually break. And so the ab- right. ability to accept the reproof, the correction, to to receive that hurt in the spirit in which it's it's given is true wisdom lest in the end we simply be broken beyond healing that the and and again to tie that to verse 15 that the rod the reproof that's what actually gives wisdom and and parents who leave their children to themselves well they'll only experience shame through those children eventually it's it is counterintuitive but it's it's the wisdom that we need it really is and uh, luther has a uh, a 
typically colorful statement commenting <laughs> on verse 15, and I'm, I found this in my uh, Lutheran study Bible. Luther commenting on that 15th verse says, when a child is permitted to do what it pleases and parents say, whatever our little daughter is, does is good, that girl is certainly headed for prostitution. <laughs> now, hopefully, uh, God in his mercy does not uh, send every child that direction, but the point is well taken that, um, as the saying goes, which is uh, really riffing off the Proverbs, spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, now, I do want to say, too, that we need to bear in mind that um, this is, does not just give um, license for parents or others um, simply to indulge in discipline without end. And the Scriptures are very clear that discipline serves this purpose of bringing to repentance. It's called correction for a reason. You're correcting away in order to bring back in line. But it's not... Um, simply for uh, uh, for the delight of the discipline. It's always leading us back, and so we want to hold intention with uh, verses like 1 and 15 of Proverbs 29. Also, uh, passages like from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he admonishes fathers not to exasperate their children. I mean, we think of this especially with parents, and certainly that's the context many times in the book of Proverbs, but it applies to other areas, too. Employers, don't exasperate your employees, right? I have a, a a proper attitude toward those who are under your care, under your charge. So uh, discipline is important, and also to recognize the end, the purpose, the goal of the discipline, that it's not an end in itself, but it's a means to the larger end of restoring that right relationship. I think the image that's often used, as you brought up the first use of the law earlier, the image of the curb is a helpful thing there, that the goal is to keep the person in the road, keep the person on the right path. And sometimes the way that that happens is through this reproof, this correction, which may cause some hurt. But as you said, it's not an excuse to indulge in that in a harmful way. Rather, keep the goal in mind. You're you're trying to bring the person back to the road where it's safe. That's that's why you want to stay in the road. That's the safe place to drive. And so I think that that's a very helpful reminder as we consider these words concerning discipline from the perspective of those who would be doing the discipline. We've, we've looked at it from the right. perspective of receiving it. Well, how do you go yeah. about it? Keep that goal in mind. You're trying to impart the way of wisdom for the safety of the person, not to indulge in sinful behavior yourself. That's right. It's, it's always a labor of love. Uh, even the the work of the law is always a labor of love, and where we miss that, where we lose sight of that, is where we really um, go off, whether this be as Christian witnesses who um, find ourselves needing to speak a hard word of law, whether that be to a neighbor, to a fellow church member, or even to ourselves. Um, we always need to recognize that the the law is not hate speech, okay, as these sorts of things get uh, thrown around in our contemporary culture. It's not hate speech. The law is reproof with the goal of bringing um, sinners to repentance, bringing them, them back in line for their own sake and for their own benefit. And uh, we want to keep that in mind, that when we um, engage in this reproof with ourselves or with others, it's always that labor of the Lord's love who wants to to draw us to himself, not to allow sin to be um, something that causes danger, you know, as, as you suggest, um, or that causes separation from the Savior, because that's ultimately what sin does. It separates us from, from the Lord. And so um, it's always a labor of love, and I think that's uh, important uh, to remember as well. Hmm. Within this section, there are many verses that deal with the matter of, of ruling, 
Verse 2 speaks of it, although perhaps from the perspective of those who are ruled, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. Now, (laughs) that that makes sense, although I I think this is one of those cases where sometimes in the book of Proverbs, you see a verse like that and think, that's not always true. There there are examples in the history of the world, perhaps even going on right now in which the wicked are ruling and people are not groaning, they're actually rejoicing. And and if a, a righteous person were to come along and begin to rule, there would be groaning rather than rejoicing. So what do we do with a verse like this, I guess from the perspective of the subject and then also from the perspective of the ruler? Sure. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's it's a, a good point, and it's well taken, that this would be kind of a case in point of how, in the book of Proverbs, you have this general observations, and to be sure, there are wicked rulers who receive uh, acclaim, and there are righteous rulers who uh, do, are unjustly um, condemned by the people. So this isn't uh, something that's going to be held true every single time, but generally speaking, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful... Um, it's a beautiful sentiment to aspire to, and this is kind of a companion to Psalm 72 also, where um, Psalm 72 speaks of the righteous king and how um, that righteous king is a benefit and a blessing to his people, the, who uh, attends to their needs, who judges the people in righteousness, the afflicted ones with justice, and uh, that brings joy to the people. I think that as Americans, it's incumbent on us um, to cultivate the kind of character that we recognize righteous leaders, and that brings us joy. And I would set that up in contrast to merely wanting power, that uh, this is where things tend to go nowadays, is we just want our people in power. Um, what ultimately we aspire to is righteous leadership. That's what's going to bring joy to the populace as a whole, not simply having the right people that we want in power. And uh, that's a challenge for us, I think, in, in 21st century America, and um, is the uh, alighting of, the, of character, righteous character, in just in favor of, hey, being in charge is what really matters, and hey, if, if the other guys were in charge, they would act the same way. Um, that's certainly not a biblical kind of perspective, certainly not in the book of Proverbs. That, I, oh, man, that, that's a rabbit trail. Pastor Tanetti, I don't, I don't know if I want to go there, <laughs> but I think I think you're right. There there are many there are many verses here that that should speak to us in our context as Americans living in the 21st century with the current political climate that exists. And a verse like this is is worth considering. Are we are we simply looking for someone to have power because he or she happens to agree with our position and we want that enforced, or are we looking for righteousness, one who will bring joy. And I I think, you know, anytime I I read about the king in the book of Proverbs, I think you brought this up in the introduction, that we need to recognize who the true king is, that when we read about kings, both in the book of Proverbs, you mentioned Psalm 72, other places in the Psalms, that we need to recognize that Jesus is truly the king. He's the one who's been given all authority in heaven on earth. He's ascended to the Father's right hand. He is the king. We were actually just talking about this in youth confirmation class here at Grace very recently concerning the second petition, thy kingdom come. And and we were talking about how, well, when you want to know about a kingdom, you really need to pay attention to the king and how does he rule. And when you look at all of the ways that Jesus rules as king, the first half of verse two here in Proverbs 29 makes a lot more sense that when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. It is the 
kingdom of Jesus, the reign of Jesus, that truly brings joy. Yes, that's right. And I think it's also a challenge to us as the people of Jesus, as the Church, because you'll notice that it's in the plural here. When the righteous um, increase, the tzedakim in the Hebrew, it's not just a singular, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. So as Christians who um, desire in a, a godly way to be able to lead and have um, influence in our culture and, and on our neighbors, um, that ought to be the presence of the church and the people of God in the community ought to be a blessing to our neighbors. So that as as the righteous, as um, those who are righteous by faith, as God's people increase, that that is a blessing for even those who are not part of the people of God. I think that, that it's, a, it's a, a challenge and um, uh, a salutary word for us to hear that for our, our, our churches, our, our um, community, our Christian communities of God's righteous people, is that causing our neighbors to groan or to rejoice? Now, to be sure, as we'll see later on in, in the chapter, there's going to be times when, um, despite our best efforts, it's going to lead to opposition or um, to uh, frustration from those outside the community of faith. But as, again, a general observation, are the people of God, the, the righteous by faith, are they being a blessing and a source of joy to the community as a whole? I think it's something we ought to aspire to. Mm, agreed. And I think that that does have something to say to us as Christians in an American context in which part of our role as American citizens is a participation within civic society such that right. as, as we do that, as we live as citizens and Christians, then we would be seeking this being a righteous blessing to the to the community yeah. in which we live, recognizing, as you said, that it may not always be received like this. You've got verse 10 later on, bloodthirsty mm. men hate one who is blameless and mm-hmm. seek the life of the upright. And, and recognizing that, and yet aspiring to the reality that Solomon gives here in verse 2, and, and you right. mentioned the, the idea of looking at a, a crossroads in the book of Proverbs that we look both backward and forward, Part of that looking right. forward that we've seen throughout this book is we're looking forward ultimately to the resurrection of the dead when verses like these are resolved. Yes. Yep, that's right. And I think that's such a, a helpful perspective on the book of Proverbs to recognize that it it invites us to look through all these different dimensions. And again, that's where it takes that wise and godly reflection on these verses. Hmm. Pastor Nene, we got just just a minute here before the break. Let's take a look at one more verse about the king for now. Verse four, by justice, a king builds up the land, but he who exacts gifts tears it down. What's it say about just rulers? What does it have to say for us as Christians living as a members of the royal priesthood? Right. Well, um, at, uh, I may, might be taking a, a little bit of liberty here, but um, that second half of the verse, he who exacts gifts, the um, footnote in my scripture and um, others will point out that it could also be translated, he who taxes heavily. And uh, I want to tread lightly here, but uh, you know, verse four, and as many times in Proverbs, the, you can interpret what the first half of it means by seeing it in contrast with the second half, so that um, justice is put in contradistinction here with one who exacts gifts or who taxes heavily, so that um, the just king or the just leader is going to recognize that his job is not just to take, but to give. 
So by justice, a king builds up the land. He benefits the populace. He serves the people. Uh, but the, uh, the unrighteous king is the one who's just going to take, take, take. And um, again, with our contemporary society, I think um, it's fair to say that even our view of taxation by whatever party happens to be in uh, power is still pales in comparison to the kind of taxes that um, many times in the ancient world would be exacted, where um, you really had no recourse. Forget about uh, taxation without representation and tea tossed into the bay. There was uh, really no recourse except for appealing to the Almighty to try and uh, stop unrighteous rulers. But uh, it still is, uh, I think, a, a helpful recognition that the king, the just and righteous king, seeks to give and serve his people and not merely take from them. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, October 16th. We're studying Proverbs chapter 29, verses 1 through 27, the conclusion to the Proverbs copied by the men of Hezekiah. We've got Pastor Ryan Tanetti with us. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Michigan. Pastor Tanetti, I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the text for us today here in Proverbs 29 as we consider the wisdom that God gives to us. Proverbs 29, now beginning in verse 16. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. By mere words, a servant is not disciplined, for though he understands, he will not respond. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir. A man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The partner of a thief hates his own life. He hears the curse but discloses nothing. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. But one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. That's the rest of our text for today. Proverbs 29, those verses 16 through 27. Pastor Tanay, verse 16, just to start again with the beginning of this section. When the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. So we've got a, a comparison between the wicked and the righteous again from one half of the verse to the next. What What's going on in this proverb? I'll just let you take it away. Sure. Well, I think um, 
before the break, we touched on the fact that uh, with some of these proverbs, they only ultimately make sense in view of of the end, in view of the the ultimate end of Jesus' return, the kingdom coming in full. And I think verse 16 um, would testify to that. Certainly there may be um, instances of this within time, within history, but ultimately when the wicked increase, transgression increases, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. And so I read this and uh, especially lay it to heart as a Christian as a promise that Mm. ultimately God's kingdom will win out, that the reign and rule of our Lord Jesus will have the final say. And you could go back, you know, we've already gone to uh, the Psalms a couple of times, and I think um, this caused to mind for me the first Psalm, Psalm 1, where it says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And so there's a a promise embedded there that ultimately um, the reign and rule of Jesus will prevail, and that... um, Uh, as we read also in the Beatitudes of Jesus, making those promises that um, those those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And so we we cling to that, especially in times and places when it feels like wickedness and transgression is only prevailing. It will not always be that way. Mm. A a verse like this is an important one to see. And, and you get verses like this sprinkled throughout the book of Proverbs so that we would hold on to the way of wisdom when it seems like the way of wisdom doesn't work. We've already pointed that out yeah. a couple times here that yeah. sometimes our experience doesn't match up with, say, we were talking about righteous rulers. Sometimes righteous rulers yeah. aren't treated well. Or verse 10 again, that the blameless one is sought by the bloodthirsty men. We need promises like this in the book of Proverbs so that we wouldn't forsake the way of wisdom for temporal earthly gain right now. Yeah, that's right. And it does, it leads us a little bit deeper because we might look at it as the book of Proverbs, um, generally speaking, gives us those broad observations of this is kind of how things tend to work. But what about when they don't work that way? And that's where we have to, to dig deeper as believers. And um, one answer would be that, oh, well, you must be doing it wrong. You know, if, if you're suffering in this way, then it's just it's your own fault. And you end up lapsing into um, the, the kind of error made by Job's friends where, okay, if uh, Job, if you're suffering, it's just because you have been unrighteous, where, to the contrary, we learn at the beginning of the book of Job that he was as righteous a man as there was in his day. That's where we need to go one step further, where we are able to see things through that lens of the cross and recognize as theologians of the cross that we um, ultimately can only understand and make sense of life through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus, and that in this life we will have trouble, as Jesus tells us in one of those, like, yes, thank you, Lord, for putting your finger on that. But take heart, he has overcome the world, so that even when the world runs contrary to us and when the, the waves of the world are all pushing against back against us, we know that ultimately Christ Jesus has the victory and that he will prevail. And that's where Proverbs does. It in, gives those indications that we need more than just kind of common sense wisdom about life in this world. Ultimately, we need the cross. Yeah, that's that's where the book of Proverbs becomes more than just the first use of the law. It becomes more than just nice sayings of wisdom, but it really does point us to what all Scripture points us to, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners. And and we yes. need that in the book of Proverbs as well. We bring up here again in, in this section more, more matters of discipline, which we touched on on the previous side, but it's worth bringing up again since Solomon brings it up again. Verses... 
17, 19, 20, all seem to deal with matters of discipline, both for sons and for servants. Maybe we want to think in terms of employment there. What else do we learn about discipline in this section, Pastor Tanae? Yeah, I, it's just, it's top of mind for Solomon a lot, the the benefits of discipline, and hey, maybe we need to hear that, you know? Um, mm. American culture does not typically get accused of being too disciplined, and so <laughs> maybe it's a, a helpful thing to hear, but yeah, verse 17, discipline your son, and he will give you rest, he will give delight to your heart. There's uh, a sense in which that we do some heavy lifting as parents, especially when our kids are young, that we try to enact um, discipline, and man, sometimes it is just really hard, and it's easier just to say, yeah, okay, you want cookies for dinner? Fine, just to have them, right? Um, and every once in a while, that can be a good thing. That can be a nice treat, right? Or, you know, pancakes. <laughs> I like to do that with my kids. We're going to have pancakes for dinner tonight. But a steady diet of pancakes for dinner is not going to do it, right? Yeah. This is, it's not going to be good for their health. It's not going to be good for their own discipline. And at some point, um, you're going to find yourself with, uh, you know, a 35-year-old kid still living in your basement wanting pancakes for dinner every day. It's not going to give delight to your heart. And so to uh, provide that discipline um, when the kids are young is um, to ultimately give yourself a, um, a hope and promise of, of rest and delight to your heart as they age, as you're able to see that. And the caveat, once again, is that this is not always going to be the case. And unfortunately, I've seen it in my own ministry, and I'm sure, Pastor Apple, you could attest as well. There are plenty of faithful, pious, devoted parents who sought to um, discipline their children well, and for all that still, their kids went their own way. So um, we recognize that this is not always going to be the case. But once again, as a general rule, this is sort of how the way that the world works. And that theme of discipline continues again, verse, verse 19, by mere words a servant isn't disciplined, for though he understands, he won't respond. This is where discipline moves beyond just talk to action. And we could think of this um, both in terms of the reproof, but also in terms of our own personal discipline and um, spiritual discipline. It's not just a matter of speech, but it's also a matter of action. And when it says, though he understands, he will not respond, I can't help but think of uh, passages such as in the letter of James, when James talked about the person who... Um, speaks the words, hears the words, but doesn't do them, is like the man who looks in the mirror and then turns away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So uh, we're not merely disciplined by the word, but by the word as it is put into practice in our, our day-to-day life. And so we want to keep that uh, before us as well. How about verse 21, which again deals with a servant, pampering a servant, and the, the way that it's phrased in the end, and I think, yeah, this is the place where even the the note in the ESV says the meaning of the Hebrew word rendered his heir is uncertain. Right. So we'll, we'll take this with right. a grain of salt, but verse 21 reads, as it's translated in the ESV, whoever pampers his servant from childhood will in the end find him his heir, recognizing the uncertainty that is there. What's the, the gist that Solomon seems to be getting at here? Yeah, and the gist of it, it may be uh, helped with um, what's called the Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which um, in some cases almost serves as a kind of um, first interpretation or first gloss on the meaning of, of the Scripture. Um, and so in this case, the Septuagint reads, rather than he will find him as heir, it reads, he will have grief over himself. So that uh, I think that's kind of helpful. Whoever pampers his servant from childhood will have grief over himself. Um, 
the idea again because it would seem strange for Solomon suddenly to change course here and say, actually, discipline, forget about it. Pamper your servant from childhood. Ultimately, you're going to be raising up your heir. Whatever that might mean, it seems clear to say if you're pampering your servant from, from childhood, ultimately you're going to have grief over himself and, and yourself. And pamper is uh, it's a suggestive word, right? For us, it might call the mind diapers before anything else. <laughs> but the, uh, the idea being, look, if you're just too loosey-goosey, if you're just too... Uh, um, lackadaisical. You don't want to, to bring discipline, provide guidance. Um, ultimately, it's just, you might think, oh, this is easier for me, and it might be in the short term, but in the long term, you're going to find that it's, it's bringing grief for yourself. And we might make connection with the translation from the English Standard Version that, um, that you read. Um, ultimately, it might mean that you lose your own spot because you were, you were too lax, you were too light, and now somebody else is going to supplant you. Someone else is going to um, be, become your heir. A servant is going to take over that spot because you were not willing or able um, to bring the, the firmer hand of discipline um, when you had the opportunity. So once again, I think it's a, a testimony from Solomon, the need and the importance, especially in early days, whether it be the early days of a child's life, whether it be the early days of a, a kind of, um, as you suggested, maybe an employer-employee relationship to set um, firm and helpful boundaries, not in an oppressive kind of way, but in a way that sets clear standards, because ultimately that benefits everyone involved. Hmm. What what I find important about Solomon's words concerning discipline is that it the discipline properly executed actually ends up benefiting both parties. It it benefits yes. the children who are disciplined and it benefits the parents. And I, I think we get lulled into the opposite. You brought up, give your kids cookies for supper. I mean, it seems the easy way out that my kids are going to be happy and I don't have to right. deal with their complaining when in the right. end that ends up, that sort of lack of discipline ends up hurting both parties. Whereas discipline properly executed in the wisdom that God gives that ends up serving the child well as, as the child grows into an adult and it serves you as the one who disciplines as an adult, both then and later. Right. It's like with so many things in life though, it means that I'm going to have to trade off um, present ease or present convenience or present pleasure for the sake of future blessings. And our natural human inclination is, yeah, I'm, I don't want to do that trade-off. I'd rather just um, stick with the, the short term, whether it be, you know, in diet, or whether it be in exercise, whether it be in making savings. Well, I'd rather just spend this money now than put it away in savings. Even though we know that, that savings is ultimately good for us, um, we struggle to make those kinds of decisions because it means that I'm going to feel a little bit of a pain point now. And I think with those sorts of decisions, as well as with the, the kind of discipline we're talking about here, where um, we set ourselves up well is when we make it habitual, when we make it, um, and this would be another first use of the law kind of thing, when we um, cultivate good habits so that, we're able, so that that kind of discipline just happens automatically, so that it's, it, um, it's just the way that you work. It's that second nature. And uh, to use an example again with like savings, where you get to a point where, you know, we have the benefits in 21st century technology. We're just going to take part from my paycheck right away. And I'm not even going to think twice about it. Where discipline just becomes 
automatic. And uh, I think in relationships as well, when there's a proper sense of discipline, um, yeah, it's going to hurt for a little while, but as it becomes habitual, as it becomes second nature, um, you're going to be reaping rewards for that for a long, long time to come. It's just uh, um, getting started and there's a proverb from the um, ancient Greeks, not biblical, but um, I think still has some wisdom to it, where they would say, well begun is half done. And so just taking those first steps um, toward instituting discipline um, is going to be a benefit to you. But it's just, you know, getting up off the couch and, and getting it started. Mm. We skipped over verse 18, talking about discipline, although I think maybe 18 has, you need that background there to understand it. It's a sure. bit different than other Proverbs we've looked at today and elsewhere in the book, the way that it's translated in the ESV, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. The way that prophetic vision, I don't think that's, we haven't had a lot of talk about the prophets or prophetic things in the book of no, Proverbs. Right. What's what's going on in verse 18? Yeah, it is interesting. And the, the word has more of a... Um, a specific kind of sense of this this visions that are held by the prophets, or um, to use a, a different example, you might think of Samuel um, earlier in the, the Bible, the kind of vision, um, although it was more audible, that, but that revelation from God. And uh, it, I think this is a helpful thing to, to keep in mind and to pair with the kind of general observation that we're seeing in the Proverbs. We might say that uh, much of what Proverbs gives us is that, that general revelation. But here, this verse is advocating for also having the special revelation that we get from the apostles and prophets. So where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, or it might otherwise be translated, the people are discouraged. Without that, uh, God, God's Word, you can't just rely on a sort of um, generic observation of the world. Ultimately, you need that clear um, vision and revelation from God as He has given it to through his servants, the prophets, the apostles, um, through the evangelists. Um, that's where we're ultimately going to be led into right paths. And thus you have the second half of the verse, but blessed is he who keeps the law, who keeps the Torah. And the Torah um, is that Hebrew word, which is typically translated law, but could be more um, broadly conceived as God's revelation, his specific revelation. And so um, it's, it's pointing us to the need for not just um, we might put it this way, the first article of the, of the creed, you know, a view of creation, but also the second article of God's revelation um, through Christ, through the scriptures, ultimately leading us in, uh, in right paths. Mm. So connecting again to the idea of the fear of the Lord that's been evident throughout yes. the book of Proverbs, that there's more to this wisdom than just general observations. As true as those things are, and as important as those things are, we shouldn't just throw those out for because they're not, quote, specifically right. Christian. You you quoted from a, a Greek proverb earlier, right? When we recognize right. the truth there, we should make use of it. But if we think yeah. that's all we need, then we're we're missing we're missing the full picture. And that's what Solomon yeah. is trying to give us. Exactly. Yep, that's right. So let's let's just keep going. Verse twenty. We haven't looked at that one yet. Although, again, man, we've we've heard this from Solomon before. Something very similar. Do you oh, yeah. see a man who is hasty in his words? <laughs> there is more hope for a fool than for him. That's saying a lot because there's not much hope for a, for a fool from Solomon. 
No, that's right. And along with verse 20, I think um, with a few of these other verses in this passage, verses 22, 23, 25, um, I kind of think of these as um, as this section, chapters 25 through 29, is kind of winding down. You have Solomon giving, uh, recognizing, here's some pitfalls for the king, some things that he needs to attend to. And maybe it might uh, not hurt for you know contemporary politicians to uh, attend to these things as well. Here's some pitfalls. Don't be hasty in your words. Hmm. Um, there's more hope for a fool than for him. Uh, but also, you know, verse 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife. Beware being too given to anger. Um, or again, verse 23, one's pride will bring him low. So that if you're too prideful, if you're too puffed up, and of course this is a theme that Jesus brings up again and again and again, that the one who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who is lowly in spirit, as Solomon puts it, or the one who humbles himself, he will be exalted. And so recognizing that pride ultimately does not serve you well. And then finally, uh, verse 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So recognizing it's a, a huge pitfall, especially for leaders, merely to please people and to try and follow the opinion polls. What do, what do people want to hear? But um, can, on the, to the contrary, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe and recognizing that ultimately um, we seek not to please men, but to please God and to trust in him, even when what we have to say and the way that we are to live is unpopular and runs contrary to the, the contemporary tribes. Um, ties of the culture. And I think that brings us finally to uh, that last verse, Tim. Mm. So take us in. We, we've got, we got several, several minutes here, about six or so. That, that's, that's good. Yeah. So I'm, I want to, before we get to the last verse, I do want to verse 25, the fear of yeah. man lays a snare. Just, I mean, I, well, far be it for me to criticize how the, how Solomon worded it, but I really, I really, really wish it said whoever fears the Lord is safe. But I think that you, mm. you still get the same, conceptual image just to, to make that connection back to chapter one the fear of the lord i i think the yeah. fact that he, he does say the fear of man lays a snare invites us to bring those things together you know it, it would right. seem that if like my fear brings safety that that if i if i fear the right thing then then i'm going to to be safe if i fear these attacks from man that will bring me and i try to respond to those that will bring safety no in fact it is trusting in the lord following in his way that's where real safety lies and and i've i've reflected on this during the pandemic you know, and and not to say I'm not 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 to say that one response is right or not but to recognize as christians that long range perspective that God gives us, that ultimately our safety lies in the resurrection, which only comes to those who trust in the Lord. And right. I, I mean, I think there's there's something there in verse 25, again, that, that's very applicable for us today. In so many different ways. Yes, that's true. Because, um, of course, it's natural for us to um, want to to fear, to be um, attentive merely to the opinions of people, um, or indeed to uh, be made fearful by their opinions and, or by, by their thoughts. And um, as it says, it lays a snare, which is to say you're setting yourself a trap. Um, if you're going to live 
um, simply and solely for the praise of men, then you are going to, maybe that works for a little while, but ultimately you're going to find yourself in a, in a trap. And, you know, this is where things like social media are just a, a continual laboratory for seeing how this works, where one day you might be flying high and the next day you, you say the wrong thing, but you, you've set yourself a trap that you walk right into. And those kinds of traps are all over the place in our culture. And so that if you're going to try and, um, you know, avoid every tripwire and miss every uh, landmine, you're ultimately just going to be um, uh, self-destructing. But to trust in the Lord is to recognize that he makes straight my way, that he, he gives me light when dark is my road. And so uh, in, in that respect, I think of, uh, you think of Peter, when Peter is, is walking on the water, gets out of the boat, is walking on the water, um, insofar as he has his eyes fixed on Jesus, he's able to do it. He's able to, to go forward confidently. But it's when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, in that case, not the fear of men, but the fear of waves, um, that he, he falls through. But I think it's applicable and pertinent to think, you know, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, as it says in, in Hebrews 12, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, then we are able able to go forward boldly, confidently, safely. And isn't it interesting, too, Pastor Apple, and um, you mentioned Hebrews 12 before and its connection with discipline, yeah. that maybe there's something there, that um, through the practice of discipline, we're able to better keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, trusting in Him, rather than uh, attending to all those other um, things that might be around us, the, the sin which clings so closely, as it says there in Hebrews mm. 12. So there might be more for us to uh, unpack there. Mm. Sure. 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 Yeah. The the discipline. Well, I mean, I I think of the way that Luther puts it in the the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. What is what is the will of God? His His will is to ultimately keep me in salvation. And if He needs to yeah. use discipline to do that, to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, He will do that for for my good. I mean, if if an earthly father attempts to use the law to curb his child, how much more will our heavenly Father use it with with utmost correction, correct, use it correctly, there we go, to, to yeah. do precisely that to keep us on that narrow road to salvation in, in Jesus Christ. I know you want to look at that last verse, Pastor Gennetti, and I think it's, it's very much worth it because it's, it's worded in perhaps a, an odd way. An unjust yeah. man is an abomination to the righteous. That, that makes sense. But one whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked. That's a just a different turn of phrase. It catches your eye. We've got about three minutes to, to look at this verse and, and use it to wrap our conversation up. Well, I think this is a really important place um, for us to, to leave our conversation today. And it did. It's an arresting phrase. And uh, it wasn't one that I had called to mind before um, coming to this studying and preparing for our conversation today. But it leaves us and it forces us to a question, um, an uncomfortable one. But it, the question that we as God's people need to ask is, whose abomination will you be? Mm. Uh, as Solomon has framed it, there's no getting away from the fact that you are going to, um, at, at some point, you are going to run afoul of somebody. You are not going to be able to please everybody all the time. And for some folks, their temperament, their personality, they hear something like this and like, no problem. 
But for many of us, and I would include myself in this, who tend to be more of a, a people pleaser, this can be a hard word to take, but it's a necessary word. It's a recognition that, hey, look, you are going to, uh, you're, you're going to be loved by some, hated by others, sometimes in spite of yourself. And certainly our Lord Jesus um, gives, this, uh, gives this warning many times throughout the Scriptures. If they, have, if they have hated me, they are going to hate you as well. And for us not to take that personally, as it were, but to recognize that um, because of our faith in Jesus, because of our our union with him, sometimes the world is simply going to despise us, regard us indeed as an abomination. And I want to bring us um, in closing to uh, the words of the Apostle John in his uh, first letter, 1 John, when he says, This is the message that you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. And uh, what John is saying to us there is in his own way what Solomon is telling us here, that, hey, if we are going to follow in the way of our Lord Jesus, if we're going to to strive to walk in straight ways, it's going to um, invite um, hatred from the world. That's not to say that uh, we should um, pursue that or that we should look for trouble or to try and invite people to come after us and to um, uh, get uh, get upset with us. Uh, to the contrary, the rule of the righteous is a blessing, brings joy to others. But recognizing that at the end of the day, sometimes no matter what, as we follow in the ways of Jesus, it's going to uh, incur the wrath of the world. But as Peter and John did when they were chastised by their opponents, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name, and so may we also. Pastor Ryan Tinetti is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Arcadia, Michigan, helping us this morning with Proverbs 29, verses 1 through 27. Pastor Tinetti, thanks for being our guest today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. The way of wisdom does bring hatred from the world at times, and yet, St. Peter writes in his first epistle, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That is the path on which the book of Proverbs would set us, pointing us forward to the resurrection that is ours in Christ Jesus. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.